Well, good morning, Grace Redeemer. It is uh, good to be back with you. I was here two Sundays ago teaching the ACE Hour, which they have done away with in August. Uh, but it's, uh, it's good to be here. Um, this church has been with us for almost three years, supporting our ministry uh, in Pennsylvania. We work on college campuses, Kutztown and Muhlenberg College, ministering to college students. And uh, we're very thankful for your guys' prayers, for your emails, for your support, even just for your interest throughout the year in what we do. And this morning, we're going to be looking for the, to the Bible for guidance and hope as we, as we talk about maybe a heavier topic uh, this morning, the, the topic of suffering. Uh, and I want to encourage you as, as you as you start your time, if you want to open up your Bible, just to prepare, there should be one in front of you. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 77, which is on page 471 in the Bible, in the seat. And this, this past week, I, I got two uh, phone calls, two conversations that, you have those conversations in life that just sit heavy on your heart? On, on Sunday, uh, a week ago, I got a call from a friend who told me that his uh, 31-year-old daughter uh, had just died of a drug overdose. And um, I had just seen this friend about a month ago speaking at another church, and I got this call as his daughter had passed away, and she leaves uh, behind a, a little two-year-old girl uh, who doesn't have a mother anymore. And uh, it's just sad to hear. You often wonder how to, how to respond to that. You get the phone call. You go, what do, what do I say? What do I say in the moment? I was, I was on Sunday. I was talking to uh, our neighbor the next day on Monday who lives across the street. My wife and I have been getting to know them. And as we're checking our mail at the mailboxes, the, the wife makes her way over the street and says, uh, I don't know if you heard, but uh, my, my dad just passed away, uh, multiple organ failure. And uh, three hours later, after getting the news that my dad passed away, we got the call that my father-in-law passed away unexpectedly. And so here Liz and I are with, with our neighbors, whose both their fathers passed away within, within three hours of each other, both unexpected. I don't know if you've ever put yourself in those shoes. You go, what, what do I even say to that? Like, there's no words for that. No words come to mind. And thankfully, our, our, my neighbor, uh, she, she spoke first. She said, would you just pray for us? She's not a Christian. Would you just, would you just pray for us? And I think we've, we've been in, in, in situations like that. Maybe you haven't had that extreme news that's, that's been dropped on you. Maybe, maybe you've had even harder news that's, that you've had to kind of wrestle through or respond to. But I think this reality of suffering that we're going to look at this morning uh, I think it's just something that's, that affects us all. Uh, I think for some of us, uh, suffering is something that, that you face every day. Uh, maybe it's, maybe it's a, a diagnosis that you, you received recently from the doctor. You weren't anticipating. You went in for a checkup, and, and you left with, with, with some hard news. Or maybe you, you got the news or you had to deal with the reality that, that your child will not ever be like the other kids in school. Or maybe as, as you think about life, there's, there's a desire that you have that, that has just gone unanswered by God. And uh, it's, it's a good desire, but God seems to not have answered it. Or maybe suffering hasn't impacted you directly, but you hear these, these stories, you read the news, you, you get the call, you see the Facebook post, and you go, how do I reach out to that person? And I think Psalm 77 this morning gives us great resources to know how to, how to navigate life in the midst of suffering, even how to deepen our intimacy with God in the midst of suffering, that we might be a comfort to others as they experience real hardship in this world. And so we're going to look at Psalm 77. And as I've studied this, as I've just meditated on this, one of the things I appreciate is that, is that it, it, doesn't, it doesn't paint over suffering. It, it wants us not to be naive about suffering, and yet, it, and yet it gives us real insight into suffering, who God is in the midst of it, that we're not hardened by it. And so if you would look with me at, at Psalm 77, 
We're going to walk through it in chunks this morning. There's even a little handout. I'm a little low-tech, a little old-school, so we're not going to do the whole PowerPoint thing, but there's a handout in your, your bulletin. I, I like to follow along as I read passages, some fill-ins if you're that kind of person as you take notes. But on the top of the handout, you see that uh, there's a quote by Paul Tripp. He's a, a Christian counselor. He, he says this. He says, We don't live life based on the bare facts of our existence. Rather, we live our lives according to our interpretation of those facts. And one of the things that Psalm 77 is going to do this morning is so helpful is it's going to compare our suffering to that of a song, like singing a song. It's going to say that the song we choose to sing, the, the story we choose to tell ourselves in the midst of suffering makes all the difference of, of how we respond when suffering hits, of how we respond to others when we hear those kinds of stories. And, and, and the type of song we sing is so important. It's, it's, going to, it's going to reveal to us why we sing these songs, what songs we sing, and how to sing a different song. And so if you want to follow along, three things that the psalmist shares with us about the, the reality of suffering. You'll see it on the sheet. The, the first thing he does is he, he helps us just to understand the nature of suffering. And so starting from the top, Psalm 77, page 471 in your Bible if you're using it, this is what the psalmist writes. It says, To the choir master... According to Jeduth and a psalm of Asaph, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years of long ago. Let's, let's stop right there. A little bit of context for Psalm 77. We, we don't know a ton about the situation. In some Psalms, you get a lot of insight, like Psalm 51. You get a story behind it. All we get here is a little, a little header, but we know that, that Asaph is the, the author of this psalm. This, this was the worship leader of King David, a little bit like Donald is doing this morning for us. And, and, and here he writes about his situation. We don't know all the ins and outs, but there's a lot that we can gain about the, the nature of suffering, a lot of insight that he gives us. And we look right from the beginning. Look at what he, he writes in verse 1. He says, I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God and he will hear me. So right off the bat, we know that Asaph, he's not just crying. He's crying aloud. He's, he's shouting. He's, he's being vocal about his suffering. He's getting God's attention. Have you ever prayed like that? <laughs> Have you ever prayed where, where it's not, maybe you're not going through the acronym ACTS, right? Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, stuff like that. That's not your prayer. You're, you're shouting to God. You're, you're, you're wrestling with God. You're shouting at God. How about you? When, when, when my prayer life looks like that, it's often the moments when I feel very helpless. When I don't know what to do. It seems like, you know, the day is going not according to plan. You think, how could this day get any worse? And then it does. This, this past fall, we, uh, Liz and I, we were out to eat at Panera uh, in, in our town, and, and, and we go up to get the leave from our table, and we realize we don't have the keys. Can't find the keys. Asked people around us, did you see our keys? No, Asked the man, do you know our key? No key. We lost our keys, and I think what, what they even said was it, it, it's likely that somebody probably swiped them from your table when you were up in, in line getting them off your table which was frustrating of itself, and, and so we came home. We, we ended up being able to get a spare set somehow, and I realized I'm going to have to change the locks in our house because <laughs> we have two little boys. And if somebody has our keys, I don't just want them coming into our house. They find our address or something. So I changed the locks. I ran to Home Depot. had to change all my meetings around for the day. And I'm on the way back from Home Depot. Liz is watching the kid. I ch- start changing the locks. And we have about three or four doors in the house. I, I, I get halfway through the job, 
and I realized I had bought all the wrong locks. So I uninstall all the locks, put them all in the bag, and drive back to Home Depot. And you know that moment when your, your temperature starts just to rise? <laughs> I was in the car, and, and I just started to yell at God. I just started to let God why this was all his fault. Why he had put me in this predicament. I was angry that I had to reroute my whole schedule. I was angry we had to spend money. I was sad that somebody might have stolen our keys. And, 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 and I realized, man, I, I, I'm shouting at God over lost keys, not to mention the harder stuff in life. That, that's what Asaph is doing here. He, he's, not just, he's not just talking to God. He is shouting. He's crying aloud. And if you've ever been there, maybe you don't cry on the outside, but man, it makes you feel like crying on the inside. So he's crying out to God, but notice when he's crying. Verse 2 says, In the night, in the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. So Asaph, we realize he's losing sleep over his suffering. He's turning on his bed. His thoughts are racing through his mind. And even if he could sleep, it actually wouldn't do him much good. Because did you notice verse 2? It says, my soul refuses to be comforted. So even if he got sleep, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't solve his situation. In fact, he's so troubled, verse 4 says that he can't even speak. He has verbal paralysis. You know, somebody were to ask how he was doing, he couldn't muster up the words to describe his situation. That's how overwhelmed he is. And if, and if you were to summarize just the, the first little chunk of Psalm 77, verses 1 through 5, kind of a picture of what Asaph's suffering looks like. Maybe, maybe this is what your life has looked like. He's in a dark place spiritually. He's in a dark place physically, can't sleep. He's in a dark place emotionally. His, his spirit moans, it faints. His, his relationship to God, it's kind of like this. It's, it's hanging on by a thread. That's what it feels like. That's, 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 that's insight into the nature of suffering. He's desperate for help, and yet he's skeptical will ever come. He, he feels alone, and yet he longs for someone to understand. It's the nature of suffering. And, and, and we're going to look at how Asaph's, how he wrestles with God in the midst of the suffering. But, but what do we do with this information? Where do we, what, do we, what are the implications of this? I think there's at least two implications before we move on. One, it's just, it's just helpful to acknowledge that suffering is hard. Maybe that seems basic. Maybe that seems obvious. But, but suffering is just often very complex. It's not just physical. It's not just emotional. It's not just, it's all the above. And so practically, I think what that means is, is, when, is when you get news, when, when you find out a friend is suffering, when somebody says, hey, can I, can I just give you some insight into what this past week or this past year has been like for me? Um, be, be very slow to offer a solution. You, you know, certainly bring God's word in, but, but, but make sure you're not just throwing verses at them because it's, it's often very complex. This, this uh, neighbor who had told us the news that her father and her father-in-law passed away on Monday, uh, we, we didn't know what to do. And so Liz as often has the better ideas in our family anyway. She says, why don't we, why don't we cook a meal? I said, that sounds good to me. So we cooked a meal, and we brought it over and brought our boys over. And, and later on this past week, uh, we were out getting our mail again, and the neighbor said, you know, when you guys came over on, on Wednesday night, uh, your boys just brought a smile to our face. And, and, and it just made my week. I needed that. And I don't know what the Lord will do with it, but sometimes just a simple thing, just being in someone's presence is a way to minister to others in their suffering. So understand that, that suffering is often very complex. Second thing is this. We see from this psalm that crying out to God, it's not just okay. It's actually encouraged. Right? He, he's, he's not rebuked for his crying out. He's, 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 he's letting God know how he feels, and that is a good thing. Right? God, there's no suffering that's too small to be worthy of God's attention, and there's no suffering that's too big for God to handle. And one, one of my friends says it this way, that God has a big chest, and, uh, and we can beat on it with, with our anger, with our sadness, with our doubt, 
We see that in Psalm 77 as he, as he cries aloud to God. And so we're going to move on, but I want to maybe say this. this that, that's not an exhaustive philosophy or, or theology on suffering, but I want to show us how, how Asaph responds to his suffering. And, and here's what, what, what I brought up earlier, this idea of, of, of Asaph singing a song. What we're going to see is that Asaph, he starts to interpret his suffering. There's, there's the suffering, and then there's the suffering underneath the suffering. There's, there's the wrestling, there's the, there's the thought, there's the interpretation of who God is in the midst of his suffering. He, he, he writes this in verse 6. He says, let me remember, and here's, I think, the key to the whole psalm. Let me remember my song in the night. And he's not talking about a Chris Tomlin song. He's not talking about a Sovereign Grace song. He's talking about his interpretation of what God could possibly be doing in the midst of his suffering. And here's the song that he sings. Here's the song that he remembers. Verse 7. He says, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And friends, if, if you don't want to be crushed, by suffering, if you don't want to be hardened or naive to suffering, friends, learn to identify the songs that you and I sing in suffering. Asaph writes out, I think, three very common songs that you and I are tempted to sing when suffering comes our way. If you want to fill it in, here's the first song that he sings, that God has forgotten me. God has forgotten me. I'm getting that right from verse 9. Asaph, he asks a question, has God forgotten to be gracious? And see, his, his question, it's really a statement about what he believes to be true about God. He's saying, he's saying God, maybe, maybe you could do something to help me, but it just seems like you're unaware of my life. It seems like I'm not that important to you. Have you forgotten about me? Have you forgotten about me? Is, is, is that a familiar song? Have you sung that song this, this week or this, this past month? Maybe, maybe you scroll through Facebook. And, uh, you know, you, you look at your life and, and, and maybe you're struggling with depression. And you pop on Facebook and all of a sudden you see everybody there, they just posted their, their pics and they're in the Caribbean. They're laying back and they're lounging. Or, you know, you and, you and your wife are struggling to, to have children and, and you get the, the Facebook announcement that you, your friend just had children. They're at the hospital and everybody's excited, everybody's commenting on their page. It just seems like, God, have you, have you forgotten about me? It seems like you're doing stuff for everybody else. It seems like you're unaware of my life, my struggles. God, have you forgotten about me? God has forgotten to be gracious. That's the first song that he sings. It's an easy song to sing in suffering. I think it can even feel kind of good because it, it gives us somebody to point the finger at. God's forgotten about me. Here's the second song. God has failed me. God has failed me. Right in verse 8, he says, Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Other translations put it this way. Has his unfailing love vanished forever have his promises failed for all time and i think when we go here in our thought life what we're really saying is this okay god maybe you haven't forgotten me but it just seems like like you're powerless to do much you know i read about these miracles you did in the bible but it doesn't seem like you do any of those things today at least not in my life you ever thought that god you failed me it's a dangerous song and i think what's particularly dangerous about it is that god if, if you failed me then, then who does that leave to help me? It leaves me. We're, we're, we're already alone and helpless and suffering, but if God is, has failed us, then, then we're even more alone. But I think there's one more song that, that Asaph sings as he, as he interprets his suffering, but I think it's even more debilitating in the midst of suffering on our outlook of God. In the second half of verse 9, look at what he writes. 
He says, has he in anger shut up his compassion? In other words, what he's saying is this, that God, he, he hasn't just forgotten about me. He hasn't just failed me, but God, it feels like he's against me. God is against me. Like maybe I've done something to get on God's bad side. Maybe I've done something to, to offend him and, and, and he's just, he woke up on the wrong side of the bed and, and I just can't get right with him. God, is, he just seems to be against me. And, and this last song is one that, that I've really struggled to, to want to sing when suffering comes my way. The, the first few years of, of our marriage, Liz and I, we had a lot of trouble uh, getting pregnant, having children. And uh, I remember during this, this time, we, we, uh, about three years into our marriage, we, we finally got the news that we were pregnant. And about eight weeks into the pregnancy, I went to the doctor, and uh, the doctor told us it's, it's not looking good. There's no heartbeat. Uh, we'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed, but we, don't, we can't say for sure. And we came back a few weeks later, and sure enough, there was no heartbeat. The, the baby uh, had died. It, it was, we had a miscarriage. And I remember thinking in that moment, God, like it just feels like you're being cruel because here we're struggling with this thing, and then you give it to us, and then you take it away. And then on top of that, we, we look on Facebook, we talk to our friends, and it seems like everybody around us, that in our ministry, in our family, at our church, they're, they're having babies left and right like it's their job. And I'm like, God, are you the only one that, that doesn't care about me? Am I the only one? And it's so tempting to sing this song, and I feel a little silly now saying it because the Lord has blessed us with children. I'm so thankful for that. I don't, I don't take that for granted. But you know, I, I find other areas in life to sing the same song. God is against me. We're, we're inclined to sing that when, when life doesn't go our way when, when real suffering hits. And so whether you call yourself a Christian this morning or not, you know, being a Christian doesn't make you immune to suffering. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card with, with suffering when it comes to this life. And the question becomes, what, what do we do to, 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 to engage with this? It, can, can we deepen our commun- communion with God? Can we, can we navigate when suffering hits such that it doesn't crush us? And one of the things I appreciate about Psalm 77, there's, there's this, I think, a false interpretation, I think a very honest interpretation of, of Asaph, but we, we realize that Psalm 77 it doesn't end in verse 10. There's a second half to the psalm where, in fact, Asaph, what he does is he starts to shift his tune. He starts to, he starts to think of a different interpretation. And, and look in verse 10. His song begins to change. Look at what he writes. He says, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. And that's, that's really a poetic way of him saying, you know, I, I don't understand my situation. I can't figure out life. When I look at my, my circumstances, it, it just seems like you failed me. It seems like you've forgotten me. It seems like you're against me. But you know what? I'm going to appeal to your wisdom. You've been around the block a few more times than I have, God. So in faith, I'm going to choose to, to believe your interpretation of my suffering rather than my own, which is, in fact, what he does in the second half of the psalm. He helps us to sing a new song in the midst of suffering, starting in verse 11. This is what he writes. I'll remember my, the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What, great, what God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made your, known your might among the peoples. With your arm, you redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of the thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. 
And in these verses, what Asaph does is he encourages us, he shows us that we're actually able to sing, by God's grace, a new song, even in the midst of suffering. Three songs he, he shows us that we can sing to replace the ones we're inclined to sing. The first is this, songs where God is present. Songs where God is present. As you look at this psalm, even the simple grammar of this psalm, you notice this huge shift. In the first ten verses, the, the, the pronouns, me and my and I, they're everywhere which in some ways is appropriate because he's speaking about his situation. But then in the second half of the psalm, they're they're hardly there at all. The the, the words you and your come up like 20 times because he's he's looking to God and and, and what we see is is that that he's he's remembering that God has not forgotten him. God is not distant. He's he's very present. We we heard earlier that, that Jesus, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. And so we cry out and ask God, can you help me see what you're doing in the midst of suffering? Would you remind me that you haven't forgotten about me? That you're with me? You know, that's not the same question as what is God trying to teach me? If you, you ever asked that question, what's God trying to teach me? That can be a dangerous question because that question can lead you to, if I don't figure out the, the lesson, the suffering's not going to end. That's not what he's, he's saying. He's saying, God, would you just help me to understand what you're up to? that you haven't forgotten about me, that even in the midst of the, the, the hardness, God, you are here. In Romans 8, Paul says it this way. He says, we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him. That passage comes right after a passage about suffering, about the fallenness of this world, about the futility of this world. I think what's unique about the God of the Bible is he doesn't stand far off. He comes close. He's not an expert or a guide, but he's a friend. He's more than a friend. He's a savior. Jesus, he, he puts himself on the hook of suffering. He doesn't trivialize our suffering. He enters into it. And so friends, when you feel hopeless, friends, know that God is with you, that he is very present, more present than you know. And, and his spirit is, is there to intercede for you either when words do not come or when it feels like words don't suffice. God is present. Asaph understands the presence of God, and, and as a, a result of that, he's able to sing two other songs that, that encourage him, that help him to, to move forward in his suffering. The second song we see is this. He sings songs where God is victorious. Songs where God is victorious. When you feel like God has failed you, when you don't see a way of moving out, friends, choose to look back to see where God has been victorious. In this passage, there's all this language about, about water and thunder and lightning and the earth. Verse 16, the water and, and thunder in verse 17 and the path through the sea in verse 19 and, 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 and how God has given this victory. What Asaph is doing, he's recalling this event in Israel's history where God had, had brought them through the Red Sea and delivered them from oppression and slavery and suffering. And you read this, and maybe you're the kind of person this morning, you think, you think wait a second, you're going to point to the Red Sea, you're going to point to a miracle in the Bible as the remedy for, for, for what can help me in real suffering? Like this is the 21st century. God parting a body of water, that's, that's your solution? You know, maybe Asaph was just more gullible, more backwards than, than we are today with all our technology. But I want, if, if your mind goes there when you read the Bible, I want you to consider this. As Asaph recalls this miracle in the Bible, this event, the Red Sea being split in two by God to save his people, that happened almost a thousand years before Asaph was born. And Asaph, he didn't have Google, he didn't have his iPhone to update and check the map to figure out all this, you know, where it happened. It was just as much of a step of faith for him to believe this as it is for you and I. 
In fact, I think you and I actually have a better victory to look back on because Asaph, he was able to look back at the Red Sea. But, but we have a victory that he can only dream about. We have a God who became flesh, who told us multiple times that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to die, that he was going to raise from the dead. And in fact, we read in the Bible, he was crucified, he did die, and he rose again. And he proved it because he lives today. That's the victory that you and I have to look forward to. That's the victory that you and I have to look back to. God is victorious. Now, that doesn't mean that, that all of a sudden suffering becomes easy. That doesn't mean we, it becomes easy street, but it means that suffering is not the end of our story because there is life after suffering. There is life after the grave, if you and I know Jesus. Let that refrain play over and over in your mind. Let that encourage you as you seek to commune with God. Songs where God is present. Songs where God is victorious. Last song we, we see is this as we wrap up. Asaph chooses to sing, by God's grace, songs where God is faithful. Songs where God is faithful. Where am I getting this from? Verse 15. Asaph points out this, this unusual detail about the people of God. He says, you with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. He calls the people of God the children of Jacob and Joseph. Why is that so significant? Because Jacob and Joseph were, 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 were two men, two people that God had promised a land to, in, 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 that he would bring them into this, this promised land, this good land, milk and honey, overflowing. But then you read the Bible, you read about Jacob and Joseph, and they never made it into the promised land. They died in Egypt. But if you read the Bible, there's this, there's this detail about Joseph's life that before he dies, he tells his people, he says, he says Be, well, bury my bones, take my bones with you. When we go to the promised land, bring my body with you. Because he was, he was, he was convinced that one day he would go to the promised land. And in fact, that's, that's what happens. God is faithful to his promise. And that's a picture of it. But man, we have, the, we have the better reality that there is a promised land that you and I can look forward to where there's no more sin, there's no more suffering, there's no more, there's no more death, there's no more divorce, there's no more miscarriage, there's no more infertility, there's no more backbiting, there's no more gossip, there's no more frustration. God has promised this land to us. God has promised this, this, this future to us. If you have confessed your sin, there's a real rest coming that no suffering in this life can take away from you. And friends, think about it like this. If Jesus has rescued you from your sin, the greatest suffering that could ever undo you, why would he not be faithful to you in the smaller splashovers of hell that you and I experience every day? God is faithful. So even if your situation never changes, even if your chronic pain never goes away, even though your friend or your family never comes back, even if your desire never gets answered in the way that you want it, friend, God will be faithful to you till the day of Christ Jesus. As I think back on my own life, and I don't feel like I've suffered nearly as much as others I've talked to, you know, I, I, I would never have asked for those circumstances. I never would have asked for those, those, those things to happen. But looking back, I, I, I said, you know, I, I never would have changed it either. Because I think it's in the moments of, of suffering where God shows himself to be even sweeter, where he shows himself to be even more present, where he shows himself to be even more victorious, where he shows himself to be even more faithful. And in fact, God uses our suffering to grow our intimacy with him and actually to, to be a resource for others that we can comfort others in suffering. And so I don't think we'd ever ask for suffering, but you know, as you look back, by God's grace, I think we'd say we'd never change it. That we might even be a resource to point others to sing a new song, even in the midst of their suffering. 
And I think as we do, the promise is that you and I would have sweeter fellowship, sweeter communion with God, even as we share in Jesus' suffering. Let me pray. God, thank you that you are not a God who is far off. God, you are not a God who is unaware of, of the hard things that we go through. I, I, I realize this is a heavy topic this morning. And God, we don't have all the answers for suffering. There's no, there's no one-to-one oftentimes. And yet we, we see the picture of Jesus. We know that he entered into our suffering, that we might one day fully, entirely be saved from it. God, you, would you remind us of that, that we might sing a new song this morning? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.